My scripture this morning is taken from and written by St. Paul as he writes the letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully maltreated at Philippi, as you know, we have courage in our God to declare that you declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak not to please mortals, but to please God, who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed. Nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others. Though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you. Like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you have become very dear to us. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. October is a weird month for preachers. It's that one month of the year that for some reason someone decided that we decided to call it Pastor Appreciation Month. And it's uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> Kim will tell you, uh, Sheets will tell you that I'm, I, I'm, I, I struggle with compliments as it is. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that I'm working through. And, and at the same time, you all continue to love and appreciate and respect me even with my weirdness. And I thank you for that. Uh, I feel loved and appreciated and respected more than I can put into words. For me, October growing up was always Youth Ministry Month. It was the month that we spent focusing in on all of our youth and our children and finding a way for them to lead us in an aspect of worship, even if it was from the little ones all the way up to the big ones, some way, somehow, their faces needed to be in front of us because they are the way for us to understand and to be a part of, and Jesus uses as the pathway to the kingdom of heaven. So for me, it was important that we always had that experience and that we allowed them to preach that message to and for us. But something has happened to this church in Thessalonica. Something has happened before they have come in and for some reason he feels as though his respect and appreciation uh, is, is, has been questioned or he has been challenged in some way. The beginning had not seen some sort of weird moments, but it had been not hopeful. He had evidently mistreatment in the town before him in Philippi, with great opposition in their efforts to proclaim the gospel. The itinerant Paul 
party might have been classed with the wandering philosophers of the day because in the first century you had people that would walk around and they would talk about Aristotle and Socrates and they would talk about the ways of life and how the world worked. But not using the words of God, you see, but using the words of humankind. They did not do what Paul's party was doing. Paul's group of philosophers or theologians were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the difference between the Paul party and the philosophers is Paul's party did not pass the proverbial hat asking for a donation after the conversation about Jesus Christ. Their motives had been pure. And above board from the very beginning, they had a deep investment in this congregation that's so deep that money itself couldn't buy. You see, during that time, the Greek world of Paul's day was very quite familiar with the teacher-student relationship in that the student reflected a unique disposition around which the teacher would offer teaching suited for the individual. For some reason, over the last two or three weeks, I have found myself surrounded by retired teachers commiserating about what it was like when they were teaching and what it's not like to teach today. It's a scarier place to teach in the world that we live in. It's also uh, a little bit frustrating. Those that are in education can tell you that it's, it's, it's not like it was when they first started. They can tell you that for a fact. And it's definitely way different than it was 25 or 30 years ago. Even as I was bringing up the aspect of bullying, we have come to a point in our life where teachers beg and they long for that one moment where they get the heart of that student and there's a spark of interest in the subject matter that somehow it moves them to focus more on that subject matter and then you feel this excitement and you want to share it with them and you want to give it to them and right before it you feel like they're going to take it to the next level the bell rings and the interest in that subject matter is gone and might not ever be rekindled they they they're so overstimulated in today's culture that to come back to that one little moment it takes Hours and hours of time to bring them back to attention. In the first century, this teacher-student relationship was about the relationship that they had of these topics, the subject matter that they shared with one another. It's in that place, in that moment, that these students would talk about their faith and Paul would challenge them to think deeper about it. What would that look like for us today? In our own church, we have youth and children that we've invested time and energy in with our after-school programs, with our youth groups, with the ways that we talk about and send them to church camps to further their spiritual education and experience. And it's in those places that they find a relationship with Jesus Christ, or at least we hope so. We don't want to force that conversation. It's about allowing the door to be open. So that maybe, just maybe, they might ask more questions. 
and we can rekindle a relationship. And, and maybe, just maybe, with our world, the bell won't ring and they'll have the opportunity to continue to seek out the understanding of Jesus Christ. There's another part of this that I think is important for us to discuss. Because during that time in the first century, through it all, Paul is trying to build a relationship. And in a lot of senses, he's the chaplain of those communities of faith. And you all know that within the last year, I've had this weird thing that God put upon my heart about being the chaplain for the Perry Fire Department. Now, I had no idea what it entailed, right? Like, all I knew was uh, when Russell and I first started talking that it was going to be a conversation about being with these, these young guys and, and young ladies as they're working with our firefighters and our EMSs. And then, uh, again, the law enforcement somehow becomes a part of this. And they're like, oh, well, if Josh can talk to them, he can talk to us too. And, and the next thing I found out is just right in the exact same way as Paul and his colleagues created this model of deep involvement, I found very quickly that as a chaplain for them, that my role is to be there to listen, to be deeply involved and invested with them, to not place a sense of judgment to them or for them, but to allow them to ask the questions. I've become very much aware that in our culture today, that our firefighters, our EMS, and our law enforcement don't have a place to have that conversation. And they find themselves begging for those moments of connection to something bigger and greater than themselves. And we, we cannot even fathom as to what they see on a daily basis as they carry us to and from the hospitals, from the morbid and awful car accidents that we see on the sides of the roads. As they come into our homes and help us with the, the horrific things that have taken place right before our very eyes as they keep us safe in our communities and in the world that we find in. And what they desire is the same thing that we do. And Paul is seeking with the church in Thessalonica is a deep involvement with one another. Not only to bring the gospel to others, but to offer pastoral care through it all. For us to receive the good news personally investing ourselves and others as an essential part of the gospel of God. These are Paul's words, you see. Paul uses these words as an essential part of the gospel of God. That's what ministry is. Now here's the part that's hard for us to gather. That's not just... For you and I, it's not just for the minister, it's definitely not just for the deacons and elders, it's for all those that proclaim Christ as Savior. And in that moment, we are the vessels of that love and compassion. It's our responsibility to be and stay with these people as we invest our lives with and through them. And yeah, the hardest part about this is, we want to give them answers. We need to fix everything that comes in front of us. 
Paul's church, as he's talking to them, somebody has started a, a problem and has implied that the money became more important than the message. And Paul is very clearly trying to ex exude to them that that is not the case. So what would it look like, church, if we took the opportunity to invest our time and energy in other people, whether it was our family member, whether it was our youth, whether it was our children, whether it was a stranger on the street, how would it look for us to involve our lives in such a way that we share the love of God through Jesus Christ? To personally invest ourselves in others. And you become the essential part of the gospel of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.